In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My name is Father Matt. I'm one of the rectors here at the table. And today our preaching text comes from Luke chapter 16, the parable of the dishonest manager. And the good news we proclaim today from this text is the kingdom of God lays claim to every inch of our lives, but so does the kingdom of mammon. And mammon would have us chase accumulation at the expense of others, but Jesus today invites us into a kingdom economy where debts are forgiven and mutual dependence is the norm. Salvation, church, is a participation in this kingdom economy. There's a lot of misunderstandings about parables often that I want to just name here as we go that trip us up as we understand this parable. The first is that the there's always a character that's that it relates to God, that they're always about God. Um, the second misunderstanding is that they involve people who set moral examples. And the third is that they should be easy to figure out. <laughs> um, and that's reflected in how the church has interpreted this parable, the parable of the unjust steward or the dishonest manager. Of course, I'm speaking of Luke 16, 1 through 13. Some want to turn this into a spiritualized parable about Jesus, that the dishonest manager forgives debts the way Jesus forgives our debts. Some want to interpret it as a moral example, that uh, we are supposed to be savvy and shrewd like the dishonest manager. But I want to suggest that this final verse of Luke 16 verse 13, that we cannot serve both God and mammon, that Luke hasn't tacked on some verses here to an existing parable willy-nilly, but rather Luke wants us to interpret this parable as a parable of how mammon works. There's a way that it works, and then there's a way that God works, and they are at odds with each other. And Jesus tells a parable of a dishonest manager to teach us all about it. The kingdom of God lays claim to every inch of our lives, but so does the kingdom of mammon. Mammon would have us chase accumulation at the expense of others, but Jesus invites us today into a kingdom economy where debts are forgiven and mutual dependence is the norm. Salvation is at hand as participation in this kingdom economy, beloved. We need to chat about the setting of this parable, and then we need to chat about what the character of the steward or manager, like what he's doing. Um, The setting, first of all, remember, we've talked about this a lot. We talked about this in Lent during our Mammon series, but uh, the setting of this parable would be uh, Jesus telling his, this parable to his disciples who, who were, the majority of them were disenfranchised, impoverished people. And Jesus is telling a group of very, very poor, very, very dispossessed people a story about a rich man and a manager. And the rich man has people who are indebted to him. And the debts that they have are incredibly huge. 900 gallons of olive oil. A hundred bushels of wheat. We're talking 900 gallons of olive oil in order to create or, or, or produce this. We're talking like 20 to 25 times the size of an ordinary family farm. 
So the listeners would have heard this parable and understood that this manager is forgiving mountains and mountains of debt. We're not talking um, middle class and poor. We're talking like Bill Gates as the rich man and and all of his suppliers for microchips and electronics, etc., as the debtors. Like we're talking the wealthiest of the wealthy. And remember, 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 why are the poor people poor in Luke's gospel? How how do they get poor? Well, they don't have any land. And why not? Who has their land? People like the rich man and people like the debtors to the rich man. This is a story told to poor people about how they got poor, why they're poor. It's a story, in other words, as Jesus says in the parable, of dishonest wealth, dishonest mammon. And dishonest mammon, dishonest wealth, is simply income or property or wealth that is has been stolen from somebody else. This is how mammon works, right? So inside this economy of very, very wealthy people who are getting wealthy off of the land of poor people and debtors who are very, very wealthy and are getting wealthy off the land and possessions of poor people, comes this manager. And often it's asked, you know, is the manager a good guy or bad guy? Is he a hero or villain? And I want to suggest that those categories are insufficient to describe how he's portrayed. Brother, I want to suggest that the steward or the manager is a trickster. I'm, I'm borrowing this, this phrase from um, Kat Armas in her book, Abuelita Faith. Also, Will de Gaffney talks about uh, the role of women as tricksters in her book, Womanist Midrash. But um, this is a common uh, character in Scripture. Think about the Hebrew midwives, right, of Exodus chapter 1. You remember the story, Pharaoh is freaking out because the Hebrews are too numerous, and he tells the midwives to uh, kill every firstborn male. And the Hebrew midwives uh, don't do it. And when Pharaoh asks why, the midwives say, well, the Hebrew women are vigorous. <laughs> now, this word vigorous means um, it's, it's, a, it's meant to suggest that the Hebrew women are giving birth too fast, but it's a slur. It's a, it's a pejorative word that means animalistic or brutish or unrefined. So the midwives are calling their own Hebrew women beasts when it comes to giving birth. Now, why would they do that? I want to suggest that they're tricksters. They're disobeying Pharaoh to do good, and they use Pharaoh's own cultural bias and prejudice against him. So tricksters are lying by using the logic of empire against itself to undermine and subvert empire. This is how the powerless stick it to the powerful in scripture. It's a common 
tactic. And so we see this regularly. We see um, like Tamar in Genesis 38. We don't have time to go into that story. We see Jael. We see um, this in in different cultures, coyote and raven stories and Native American cultures, Br'er Rabbit stories from African American in the South. The stories of the trickster are how the powerless fight the powerful. They use the tools of the powerful to undermine the powerful in their powerless state. Also, Jacob stealing the birthright. Rebecca was the trickster who got the birthright from Esau to Jacob. So, going back to Jesus and Luke's audience, how would they see this manager? Well, let me, let me draw a parallel to something that most of us experienced, the 2008 financial crisis. Y'all remember that? Sharon and I um, bought a house in 2008 and sold it in 2010, we bought it right at the height of the bubble, and then when the housing mortgage crisis happened and the market crashed, we lost, I don't know, about $50,000 when we sold our house. Now, this is way too long to go into, but suffice it to say that the 2008 financial crisis happened due to shady, nefarious, risky, super sketchy deals made by billionaires. People went upside down on their mortgage, like Sharon and I, and many of you, and couldn't repay the loan. So the federal government stepped in to help the most needy, the poor. No, <laughs> no, that's not what they did, right? The federal government bailed out banks, bailed out the wealthy. The federal government bailed out the people who caused the problem and profited off the problem and gave them, depending upon how you count it, 400 to $700 billion dollars. And the poor simply lost billions. Many of them lost their homes. Many of them came to closing and lost 50K, like Sharon and I did. Why? Because this is how mammon works. But imagine if, if we take that happening and we were to introduce a trickster character in it, this is how it would work. A dishonest broker, maybe, who worked at one of these banks... He sold junk mortgages and made a great salary until the bank needed a thaw guy for getting them in this mess. And they decided to lay off this dishonest broker as a public symbol that they wanted to, quote, crack down on the wrongdoers. So this dishonest broker becomes a scapegoat, a public scapegoat, to ameliorate and uh, symbolize that, that the banks want to do good. So this dishonest broker is uh, upset, scared, maybe going to be prosecuted, right? And on his way out, he calls up every single person he gave, his bank gave loans to. And he cuts all these loans, thousands and thousands and thousands of loans in half. And he makes the banks eat the bubble making the billionaires deal with the mess they've made because they've decided to scapegoat him. Now, how would the poor people feel? How would the you and me who lost 50K at closing feel about what this broker did? Oh, we would, we would love it. We would love it. Now, how would the banks feel? Well, this is more complicated. They'd be ticked off, right? Because they're losing billions of dollars from this guy. But, but... The public perception of what this guy did 
and what the banks were doing, he as a member of this bank, would have been so positive. There would have been so much positive PR that they'd be unable to change it because of the public goodwill. And so they probably would put a smile on their face, cover for him, even maybe claim it was their idea to begin with. Friends, I want to suggest this is exactly what's happening in this parable. The manager was squandering the rich man's property, Jesus says. So in response, the dishonest manager squanders more property, right? Starts forgiving debts without proper authorization. And then the manager celebrated by the rich man for this, the ex- doing the exact same thing that he was cranked up about earlier in the parable. So the key, I'm telling you, the key to this parable is, is, the, is the last sentence. No slave can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is a story about the destruction mammon rots and how a dishonest manager inside the world of mammon becomes powerless and then undermines mammon using the tools of mammon. He creates this dishonest manager. This is the shrewdness. A win-win-win scenario. The steward wins because he makes friends with those he helps. The debtors win because they get out of debt. And the master wins because he gets the reputation as a generous, gracious man. But notice, the way it becomes a win-win scenario is there's debt forgiveness. This undermines mammon. There is a human economy. I'm making friends. I'm going to be welcomed into homes. So now now our relationship isn't based upon you owe me money. Our relationship is based upon you're generous to me and I'll be generous to you. Inside the satanic world of mammon, a scared, dishonest manager does the only thing he could do to save his butt and in so doing builds a kingdom economy that undermines mammon. <laughs> so this parable is one of irony. He's a lousy steward manager. He's working with and for a rich man who's exploiting the poor. The lousy manager cheats the rich man out of more money in order not to be impoverished himself, and he gets praise for it because it's a savvy win-win-win. Jesus reveals the idiocy created by an economy that runs on mammon. He calls it dishonest wealth. And how even crooked, desperate children of this age can stumble upon the genius of a kingdom economy which prioritizes debt forgiveness, generosity, and mutual dependence. The steward, the manager, uses mammon to undermine mammon. Let's do the same, says Jesus. The steward, the manager, prepared for a coming crisis by creating a new economy, a new reality. Let's do the same says Jesus. Our call is to undermine mammon and build a new economy. No big deal, right? (laughs) That's not too much work, right? (sighs) The good news today is the kingdom of God lays claim to every inch of life, but so does mammon. Mammon would have us chasing accumulation at the expense of others, but Jesus invites us today into a kingdom economy where debts are forgiven and mutual dependence is the norm. Salvation, beloved, is nothing less than a participation in this kingdom economy. So what do we do with this? What do we do? Well, we need to 
reconvene for some of our listening sessions, church. We did this series in Lent, and then we had this discernment process with the ACNA. And now, as that winds down, we need to get back to how do we, how do we act shrewdly inside the logic of mammon to undermine it? And how do we begin to name the logic, the common sense that mammon runs on that is dehumanizing, that is anti-kingdom? And how do we learn to oppose that? How do we learn to be shrewd? This is something we need to discern together, friends. Number two, we need to take seriously the spiritual cost of mammon, how it shows up, how it hurts us and others. This is one of the great blindnesses, I think, of our Western, affluent, neoliberal, capitalist cultures that we are blind to the destruction of mammon, dishonest mammon. Yeah. And three, we need to begin and continue to see how power works so that we can see how tricksters, how powerless people Use the tools of the powerful to undermine the powerful. This is key. This is protest. This is how uh, opposing evil works. And those of us who have power or have affluence, we often don't see the goodness of this. We often lack an imagination for how to be creative like this. We often want to tisk tisk the Hebrew midwives for lying. But the call is to identify with the poor, to be in solidarity with them so that we can learn from them not only how to oppose evil, but to live in good. It is the poor who are blessed, who teach us what it is to have a human economy built on generosity and reciprocity where debts are forgiven. Oh, beloved. The kingdom of God wants to lay claim to every inch of our life, but so does mammon. Mammon would have us chase accumulation, putting others in debt. But Jesus invites us today into a kingdom economy where debts are forgiven and mutual dependence is the norm. Salvation is participation in this kingdom economy, beloved. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.